Stanford and Cal, along with SMU, are off to the ACC. Because just like Jeff Goldblum said, life uh, finds a way. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and even further team free and beloved and dwindling Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. All right, lots to get to. Stanford, Cal, and SMU make it official just before their seasons kick off, which makes a lot of sense in my view. That's what I thought would happen earlier this week. They have made it happen, and we'll ask the question, what happens next? By the way, Utah, um, (laughs) thanks for showing up, Florida. I don't know if they really got off the bus, but uh, yeah, Utah is really good, if you didn't know. Some of us have said that for a while, but Utah is very good. And first edition of the Pac-12 Prime Picks later in the show, because there's a lot of football to get to. But then there's this thing. So Stanford and Cal, schools that are in the Bay Area, which imply they are near water, because they are. You know, the Bay of sorts. That Bay feeds into the Pacific Ocean. But now, those two schools, athletically, for all sports, are going to play in the Atlantic Coastal Conference. Along with a team from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So riddle me that, Batman. Here's the great irony in all of this. I forgot to turn off my alarm from earlier. I'll tell you about that later in the show. Fun story. I witnessed something truly incredible last night. Or, I'm sorry, should I say this morning. So, Stanford and Cal at one point in time, were part of a Pac-10 that rejected a deal for 50, or for $30 million a year because they thought they could get 50 and instead, they're going to go in at a 30% rate on a deal that averages $36 million per year for seven years. SMU is going to take no media rights money for nine years, which is absolutely crazy. You talk about buying their way in, like the Slytherin Quidditch team? Yeah, that's literally what SMU is doing here. I don't begrudge SMU the way I begrudge the Slytherin Quidditch team, by the way. But like Hermione said to Draco Malfoy, they have literally bought their way in. There's no other way to see it. Now, you can argue they deserve it because they didn't deserve the death penalty. You can argue they don't deserve it because they haven't been that great in football. And they're just getting in because of money. But guess what? Money talks, and you know what walks straight out the door, never to be seen or heard from again. So Stanford and Cal are going to play in the ACC. There are a lot of details to work out. NC State is reportedly the school that flipped. It looked like there might be enough opposition to hold them out and keep the Pac-4 that remained together because North Carolina came out 
when they were going to make the vote or the night before. And they had some board members that said, we are not in favor of adding these schools. North Carolina State said, nope, we're in favor. They only needed one flip. They got it from the Wolfpack. And this makes some sense on both sides. From the Stanford and Cal and SMU angle, you're in a power conference. You assure that that's going to be the case going forward. And there may be some instability that could come to the ACC, but that's far from a guarantee. And the reason the ACC has done this is to basically shore up their future of remaining engaged with the contract they have with ESPN for their broadcast television media rights deal, that it remains unchanged if the members of the conference change. Because if they had lost, say, Florida State, who wants out, or maybe Clemson or Miami, they were going to fall below a certain number. And the contract states that if they fall below that number, they are going to have to renegotiate the deal. Might not be worth as much money. But if they stay at a certain level with Power 5 schools, which Stanford and Cal classify as, then that keeps the deal as is no matter what happens there. So there's some inherent logic. And much like the Big Ten coming to get Oregon and Washington, the ACC is getting Stanford and Cal on the very cheap, a 30% deal for seven years. Then there'll be a full media rights earning member. SMU is going to take no media rights money for nine years. That school has a lot of money. All three of these schools should have been in the pack at one point in time. Instead, they're going to play in the Atlantic Coastal Conference. So it felt like this was going to get done. It has now been done as I thought they wanted to get it done before the season. Stanford players who are getting ready to play Hawaii today are going to be told once they wake up this morning, whenever that is, the time zone, I'm, time zones I'm not fond of thinking about uh, right now. Um, again, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later, but they join the ACC, those three. So they get the Bay area media market tap into Dallas a little bit with SMU. They've got three new schools. They get to figure out the travel. They've reportedly looked at, you know, using Dallas as like a halfway point for some of the non-revenue sports or to minimize travel. I, I don't know. Like that, that's just. That's going to be a lot of traveling for a lot of athletes who are also students, by the way. <laughs> that, that just sucks. I mean, that sucks for, for, those, uh, for those kids that they're going to have to deal with that. But guess what? It was that or go independent or maybe absolve a lot of sports programs. So this is what Stanford and Cal have chosen. So the pack is now down to two. And those two, be Oregon State and Washington State, who apparently nobody wants. And that's because these decisions are made, as I've said for a long time, about more than just athletics, though that is a key component to what takes place on the field. But if you were trying to get the most successful football programs, or the ones that appear the most viable right now, you wouldn't have gotten Stanford and Cal. But you did, because they have an incredibly strong academic tradition. They're located directly in a major media market in the country, and they have that sort of pedigree more than Oregon State and Washington State, who are going to be better football teams in 2023, will probably be better in 2024 and beyond. And that brings us to the Beavs and the Kooks, who once again have to sit and watch and wait 
And now the pack is down to two schools. I cannot see a world. I am not all-knowing, but I don't foresee a world in which the pack is able to rebuild. Because if you had four schools, I could see it. But with two, the reverse merger is on the table. I, I, I could still see that, perhaps. But now Oregon State and Washington State have so little leverage, the Mountain West could force their hand, basically. They could say, hey, we would like you to join us rather than us joining you under the PAC label. Oregon State and Washington State could say, well, we'd like to have you come join us because we've got all these assets over here. The Mountain West could say, well, yeah, but we don't actually need those assets and we've got a conference and we've got a media rights deal. And you don't. So you can come join us. We'd love to have you, but we will still continue to exist as a league and be able to put together schedules and have a conference to play in if you don't do that. So proceed at your own peril should you decide to not come and join us. And Oregon State and Washington State would be left there thinking, okay, we're toast. What do we do? How can we do this? Can we do this? What what exactly should they do? You should go check out Game Time because if you're looking for last-minute tickets to anything, whether that's an Oregon State or Washington State game this year, in their final year as a member of a power conference, as it seems right now, Game Time is the place to go. Buying tickets to your favorite events, just it shouldn't be stressful. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They have flash deals and last-minute tickets. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, wherever you are. And they have a lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and much much more. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. So go event. So go get yours today. You also get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You don't have to guess about what the view is going to look like or anything like that. You get to see what you're going to see before you arrive, which is great. So download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked On College for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yes, that is a Ted Lasso mug for the second segment sip today. The other side says a great line of which there are many from the show that I love. Hey, I believe in believe. I don't know that Oregon State and Washington State believe that everything is going to work out and be all right. Now, there are a couple options here. Um, let's start with what can't happen. Oregon State and Washington State apparently joining the American Conference is off the table. After the news of SMU leaving the American and Stanford and Cal going with uh, the Mustangs to the ACC, the American Conference... Commissioner Mike Oresco released a statement saying they don't want to expand West, not in the best interest of our student-athletes, which is weird. I thought we'd thrown geography to the wind, but I guess some people still care. So the remnants of what was once the fundamentally great component of this wonderful sport hasn't completely died, but it's mostly died. Let's be real. So SMU is gone. That would have been one of the top targets to add to the pack 
if Oregon State and Washington State wanted to rebuild, and now you are left in a situation where uh, joining the Mountain West is the most likely option, <clears throat> joining the American is off the table, I guess technically rebuilding the pack is possible because there's a grace period from the NCAA. So 2024 would be a messy season in which nothing could happen really, but you could add four American schools for next year, four Mountain West for the following year, be at 10. Maybe that would be enough. It really feels though that they're just going to be left to the Mountain West and they will go and be the flagship programs there. They should be the conference favorites in 2024, should be the conference favorites year in and year out. Hopefully they boost the media rights valuation and they're able to, you know, Kirk Schultz at Washington State said, hey, we want to keep spending and competing and playing at a power five level. And I don't know how possible that is for them in the Mountain West, but I certainly would like to see them land in as good a situation as possible. I I, I don't know that there's a realistic world in which it's anything but a Mountain West partnership of some sorts. I'd say 60%, maybe 70% uh, just gut feeling here. They join the Mountain West, 30%. It ends up being a reverse merger. But the pack that once stood 12 strong um, about one year and two months ago has suddenly been whittled down to two and is on the precipice of dissolving. And all the assets that the pack has postseason payouts, Pac-12 network, NCAA units, emergency fund, everything like that, Uh, you know, bowl tie-ins. That all is on the precipice of dissolving. And then the bowl situation would have to get worked out elsewhere. And maybe the Mountain West would pick up uh, one or two of those bowl contracts and they'd get left to other conferences and things would get shuffled around. And uh, we just have to see what, what happens. But that's uh it's upsetting if you're an Oregon State or Washington State fan I I don't know how else you could possibly feel about this entire process and this is kind of the finalization without the final final move of what it felt like was going to happen when Oregon and Washington decided nope we're not signing the Apple deal we're going to go to the Big Ten Arizona Arizona State Utah said oh well then we're going to go to the Big 12 Stanford and Cal have been talking with the ACC. They've now gotten in. They'll start there in 2024. And Oregon State and Washington State programs that have done more with less, that have hired good coaches, that have made investments in their programs, in their facilities, and to be competitive in a league where they are outmatched financially and recruiting-wise, they're now going to go into a league that is essentially relegation from what they have now. And I think that sucks because they've made a lot of the right choices and they're going to be punished for it. So I, I think that really, really stinks uh, for Oregon State and Washington State. As for what happens with the Civil War and the Apple Cup, Oregon has stated that they would really like to continue playing the Civil War. Washington was a little more wishy-washy on, on continuing to play. There are hurdles, but not major ones. It basically comes down to desire. Like, does Oregon want to go Obviously, it's not a long trip, but do they want to play in Corvallis every other year? Do they want to keep that tradition alive? Dan Lanning has said he wants to. Washington indicated, though not quite as strongly as I think Oregon did from what I saw, that they would like to keep playing Washington State, but we could just be seeing the end of those rivalries. It's happened before. I mean, Missouri and Kansas was a longstanding rivalry in the Big 12. And guess what? Missouri went to the SEC, and then they just stopped playing it. So... That's always a possibility that hangs out there, which I think stinks. Um, 
decades and decades of history just being tossed away for the almighty dollar, which is what it's all coming down to. And, you know, it's funny when, uh, watched well, this college football documentary a while back um, called The American Game. It's on ESPN. It's so good. And when television first came, I mean like in its infancy to college football, there were concerns that, well, attendance is going to drop. This is going to ruin the sport. And initially they, those people were wrong because television actually grew the sport in a tremendous way. Like they could not possibly believe you reached more people, you reached more schools and fans and markets, and you grew the game. But now you grew it into something so great that trees don't grow to the sky, as the old adage goes. And college football grew and grew and grew. And then someone came in with an axe and chopped it down. And they wanted to take that tree and make it for firewood. Rather than just letting it stand as the beautiful spectacle that it is. They wanted to make it into something that can be mm, a tad more profitable. So I think that's unfortunate to say the least. Should we talk about some football here? Yeah. So here's here's what I saw. If if I If I sound a little tired... Needed to take another sip of tea there. Uh, it's because I'm recording this episode later than normal, and I'll be dropping it basically as soon as I record it. That was always kind of the plan. Um, but some of you may or may not know, um, I do play-by-play for Southern Utah University. And they played a football game last night slash this morning. They were playing Arizona State. It was Jaden Rashada's first start. I saw it in person. I was on the radio broadcast. And there was a sandstorm, swirling winds, and oh yeah, a two and a half hour lightning delay at halftime that led to the game being completed just past 1 a.m. local time in Tempe. And I returned back to my hometown, uh, or at least where I'm living now, in Cedar City, Utah, at about 6 a.m. this morning, local time. So... That's a thing that I did. Um, when the lightning delay started, I stayed on the air uh, with my guy Richie Bradshaw for a little while, I've locked on Sun Devils uh, for an hour and a half, talking about the game and anything else that came to mind to pass the time and keep people informed and as entertained as possible. It's one of the strangest broadcasts I've ever done, probably the strangest broadcast I have ever done in my career. But I was there for an hour and a half, and <laughs> it was. Uh, then we went back to programming for about an hour. And then we got back on the air, finished the game, and Southern Utah darn near beat Arizona State. Um, I was low on the Sun Devils coming into this year. That prediction and feeling was fortified after uh, the first game. Now ASU can get better, of course. Uh, it was Jaden Rashada's first start. He had some impressive moments. He also made a lot of freshman mistakes in terms of missing open throws. He'll get better at that. But that was one of the craziest things I've ever witnessed, uh, to see a two-and-a-half-hour lightning delay and then watch it play out in the game end past one in the morning local time. Reminiscent of the 2019 lightning bolt in Seattle between Cal and Washington. So that was uh, that was something. That was That was something to behold. Um, but football is back. Football is so back in full force. Stanford plays Hawaii later today. 
They're going to be doing so on the back of the news. They'll be joining the ACC in 2024. I don't think that has a big impact on the game. That's part of my Pac-12 prime picks later. But we watched something yesterday that is something that should put Pac-12 fans on high alert, even though they already should have been, as I talked about in the offseason. Utah is really good. I thought they would win the game whether or not Cam Rising played. I didn't think they'd win it in quite as dominant a fashion, but when I talked about it going into the game on yesterday's episode, I didn't know when I recorded that show Cam Rising wasn't going to play, but my pick did not waver. And the Vegas line reflected how I felt, how JT felt when we did Wednesday's show with Brandon Olson of Locked on Gators, which was a fun crossover. Utah is a better football team. And Utah, without Brant Keithy and without Cam Rising, two of their most important players, and I believe they were missing some other stars as well, they ran Florida off the field. They came out, they got a three and out, and then chucked a 70-yard touchdown with their backup quarterback that caused one Gator to tackle another. Like, thanks for showing up, Florida, but that was payback for last year. Because Utah should have won that game last year. But Anthony Richardson was amazing. He's not there anymore. And Utah showed that they're a better football team than Florida. And that they're a really good football team. Bryson Barnes looked like he had a stronger arm. He moved well. He commanded the game well. First of all, as I said before the season started, no reason whatsoever to play Cam Rising in week three against Weber State. If he's healthy, have him go next week when they go on the road at Baylor. But Utah is just Utah. Not flashy. They're not like Coach Prime. They're not like USC. They're not like Oregon. They just go about their business and play really good football. They're so well coached. They, They are ridiculously well coached across the board. Their defense is so darn good. They hold Florida to 11 points. They had three points for most of the game. They they just got pressure. They made plays. They moved the ball enough. If that's what they look like with their backup quarterback, with Cam Rising, man, that's a good team. And I have long held the belief that Utah is very good and that they will win 10 games this year in the regular season. That looked like an 11 or 12 win team if that's with the backup quarterback last night. We'll see what happens with Cam Rising his health. It's going to be a question to monitor. And I don't know that Florida is that good of a football team, but they're not that bad of a football team. That is not a game in which Utah was outmatching the other team athletically and with the average caliber recruit on the field. That's not what we had in Salt Lake City last night. What we had was a coaching mismatch, was a scheming mismatch. And a game that was played at Rice-Eccles Stadium, where I don't think anyone's winning this year. And I'm, I'm doubling down on that take after that performance. That was so impressive. And look, I don't think Utah coming into this year is going to win the league. Cam Rising's health does still give me pause as good as they looked. I think there are better teams in the pack than that Florida team that they'll have to go up against. And the other side of that coin is... They were at home, but boy, they looked really, really good 
and I don't think a three-peat is happening, but if you told me right now, after that performance, it's just week one, time to make observations, not conclusions. If you told me right now Utah's in the Pac-12 title game playing any one of the other four contenders, whether that's USC, Oregon, Washington, or Oregon State, yeah, I'd believe you. That team looks good. That team looked, they looked big. They looked fast. They looked hungry. They were well coached. Their scheme was great. They could run the ball. They could take shots. I, I mean, that was just, that was a Utah clinic right there. Man, that was, that was really, really good. A couple other storylines going into this, uh, this weekend. Just a couple of quick ones on teams that I think will be 500 or better, but not a whole lot above it. Um, Cal going into North Texas, biggest storyline there. Was I wrong all along? That's kind of what I'm watching for. The line opened at around nine, nine and a half. It's come down to six and a half, seven. That's going to be part of the Pac-12 prime picks here uh, in just a moment. And the other one, Washington State, when they play Colorado State, watch out for that offense because I, I think Washington State is a good football team. I think they go seven and five is my record prediction for them this year. But I need to see what Cam Ward can be, what the offense is going to look like. They're playing a pretty lowly Colorado State team based on last season. I don't know that they're a lot better this year, probably a little bit. But if Washington State goes in there and wins that game big, we'll see what happens. Because then they play Wisconsin in week two. But they got to be ready for that one. Last storyline that's a big one to talk about for tomorrow. There are other ones, but the other big one, Colorado plays tomorrow. I think we're all excited to see that. Like, Has there ever been a game where you're so intrigued to see a 20-point underdog play college football? Because I can't think of one. Colorado is the most interesting 20.5-point underdog I've ever seen. I'm not sniffing that game for the Pac-12 prime picks. Because I have an idea of what I think Colorado will be, but I don't have a firm, solid idea. Also, they have Nebraska in Week 2. They didn't look very good. Maybe they'll improve, but Nebraska's got to go on the road again, and Folsom Field is going to be rocking when the Cornhuskers come to town. And that matchup, I think, gets a lot more intriguing. And based on the performance, let's see what we have from Colorado in week one. But based on that performance from Matt Rule's team, they're a ways away. Jeff Sims is not it at quarterback. And Colorado could maybe pick up a win in week two. And boy, that would set the country on fire one way or the other. But first, they play TCU tomorrow. Which leads me into the Pac-12 prime picks. I was 48% last year. Not what I was hoping for. This year, we're getting over 50%. We got to speak that into existence. So let's start with the game that is happening tonight as I record this show. Stanford going at Hawaii. Stanford opened as a nine and a half point favorite. It's down to minus three. I'm low on Stanford this year. I think that's the worst team in the Pac-12. I think they are going to go winless in conference play. A feat not accomplished for a uh, Pac-12 school since 2017 when Oregon State went 0-9 in their 1-11 season. And I think Stanford ends the year 2-10, 0-9 in conference play. However, Hawaii is not what you would call a power, and I think this line coming down as much as it has is a mistake. I think Troy Taylor is a pretty good football coach. And and Stanford has still got more composite talent on their roster than Hawaii, which is a low-level, bottom-tier program in the Mountain West. 
They're on the road, so I've got some pause. I don't know really what I'm getting at the quarterback situation, but Troy Taylor knows what to do when he doesn't have just one quarterback to play. He did it at Sac State. That's probably the situation he's got here. So I will take the Cardinal minus three for my first pick. Second pick, the California Golden Bears. I got to ride them, right? I've talked them up for so long. I was intrigued and excited when I saw their win total move from four and a half to five and a half and felt some vindication in that alone. But I got to ride them week one. They're a six and a half point favorite at North Texas, a team that is coming out of Conference USA and into the American. I'm taking the Golden Bears here. Interested to see what the offense looks like with Sam Jackson at the helm. If the defense is better, I think the Bears win that game. 27 to 13. I think Stanford gets it done 24 to 16, by the way. Next one, Washington hosting Boise State. This game is on ABC on on Saturday. Should be a fun matchup. Boise State has thwarted a Pac-12 opponent on more than one occasion in their time. I don't think that is going to happen here. This game is in Seattle, and the Huskies have been a very good team at home. They're a 14 and a half point favorite. I'm taking the dogs to win and to cover that 14 and a half, 38 to 21. Penix and company pick up where they left off in 2022. On the other side of a 14 and a half point spread, Coastal Carolina is going to UCLA. And again, I'm riding my own picks here in week one when it comes to preseason win totals. I've been down on UCLA. The line is 14 and a half. I think the Bruins will win here because I'm not sure that not sure the Chanticleers are a great team, but you got Grayson McCall back at quarterback. You have a trio of guys set, set to play for UCLA. So I think 14 and a half is too many points. I think UCLA wins. I don't know if it's pretty because they're trying to figure things out at the quarterback situation. That doesn't smell like a blowout to me. 31-23 Bruins win. And finally, Oregon State, a team I really, really like, has a much better defense than USC. So I don't expect San Jose State to run for almost 200 yards. But 16.5 points against a team that might be a little bit better than we thought coming into the year is a lot of points on the road. I don't think Oregon State struggles here. I just think 16.5 is too big of a number. I think they win comfortably, 31-17. But I think San Jose State covers. So San Jose State plus 16.5. Coastal Carolina plus 14.5, Washington minus 14.5, Cal minus 6.5, and Stanford minus 3. Week 1 of the Pac-12 Prime Picks. Can't wait. Let's get to some football, shall we? Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Until then, enjoy the football, enjoy your weekend, and have a wonderful rest of your day.